This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Good evening and welcome to tonight's No No Never podcast. Thanks as ever to our sponsors, Neville G. My guests this evening, Andy Devaney, James Bird and Ian Creamer. Lots and lots to go through despite uh, the season not quite being started yet. Burnley were in action, in pre-season action in a friendly at Accrington Stanley at the weekend. A 1-0 win thanks to young striker Jason Gilchrist on the score sheet for the second pre-season game in a row. Andy, you were at Accrington on Saturday, weren't you? Um, obviously early days, yeah. but what did you make of Burnley? Um, early days, I think it was. We were just strolling the ball around. Really, didn't they? Didn't look much of a. Aki were trying hard. Um, we just seemed to be taking everything in our stride. But the players looked really fit, though. Um, more so than most breaks. I heard a few people commenting on that, especially um, Marnie looked pretty lean. Um, and then they they swapped the sides in the second half. It was another, more, almost another eleven. So. Um, bit early to tell, really. wasn't that much of a competitive game, but two disallowed offside goals. Um, it was all right. I think there were a couple of offside goals in the 8-0 win over Grosskine as well, weren't they? So hopefully we're going to tighten that up a little bit. But as we say, there's only been two friendlies so far, a few to come, so a long way to go. As you say, it is all about fitness. Burnley, undoubtedly the fittest team in the Championship last year. I would imagine that Sean Dyche want it to be the same this time in the Premier League, won't he? That's going to be key to any chances of survival we've got. I would think so. Um, it's, it's certainly something that we can be on a par with other clubs. You know, They might have more money than us, but you can only be a certain fitness, can't you? Um, and if we're as fit as them, we've got as much a chance as... You know. um, but they look, they look really, really well. Um, sometimes you, you come back from pre-season the first few games and you're looking at a few players thinking they're carrying a bit of extra weight but there was nobody that you were everyone looked fit so I'm quite impressed really you'd, you'd imagine they've got them on a on a strict regime over the summer wouldn't you there'd be none of this Ricky Hatton style really easing off um, first look I suppose at a few of the new lads uh, Matt Taylor was in the starting lineup, wasn't he was there anything about the new signings that stood out I, I know it's only a friendly but any of them look particularly sharp um, Matt Taylor looked quite good. Um, 
Marvin Sordell looked really, really sort of uh, lean and mean and keen. Um, I'm quite impressed with him, actually. Um, say Mark Marnie, but he, he's already here. It was good to see some of the kids playing as well, um, like Tom Anderson. Um, he looked, he looked, didn't look out of his depth at all. Um, that Jaden Hall looked pretty good. Um, he was beating a few on the wing. Um, young lad again, uh, good to see. So, yeah, um, didn't really know who else did we, did we have um, who signed. Uh, Steve, Stephen Reed was Reed missing. He's had an injury, hasn't he? It is. It is good to see though. It is a good, good to see, isn't it, that these young players are getting the chance in the pre-season friendlies. Obviously, it is. It's a hell of a big jump to go into a Premier League squad, but especially when none of them have really been involved at, at first team level yet. But I think you see the, the youth team as much as anyone at Northern Average. Do you think there's anyone who, who is maybe pushing? Stephen Hewitt, I suppose, as good a chance as anyone since we are a bit short in midfield. Do you think maybe he's going to be involved this season? Um, I'd like to think so. I mean, I'm always um, a firm believer in bringing these kids through and to see them play, for, for, play their way up at the club for sort of four or five seasons and then they get released before they actually make the first team. I think it's quite... Well, it must be quite sad. Well, it's going to be sad for them, but I find it quite sad that you know, we haven't given him the chance. Um, I mean, he's Stephen Hewitt's quite a little guy, um, but he's what will he be? He must be sort of twenty-one, twenty-two now, and he sort of he looks strong. You know, even though he was only about five foot eight or something, but he, he looked he didn't look lost and he didn't look out of place. I don't think, and it'd be good to see him play. You know, even if it's just like in the the cups or something. I think I think we will use young players a bit more in the cup competitions. Obviously, we're going to prioritise the Premier League, and people say that there's, there's fewer games in the Premier League, so you shouldn't have to rotate as much. But I wonder if we'll see a little bit more of that. Thanks for that, anyway, Andy. We'll report back from uh, the rest of the pre-season friendlies. I think there's some development squad games in the week and a trip to Blackpool at the weekend that may or may not be taking place, given Blackpool's problems with their own squad at the moment. I suppose. Um, we will move on now, though, to talk about some transfers. Even though since since the last no no ever podcast, there hasn't actually been any new arrivals. Um, a little bit strange that transfer activity maybe seems to have dried up, but I'm sure Sean Dyche would say it's just waiting for things to align. So I don't want to get too impatient, but maybe a little bit concerning that three weeks tonight before the the start of the season that we seem to be almost done. Um, James, the, the newest link seems to be Nathaniel Shalabar, the, the Chelsea youngster. Um, do you think maybe that there's something in that one, given he's, he's someone who can play central midfield and at the back? Well, I don't know, it's, it's always hard to tell with these um, these pre-season rumours because you know quite a lot of the time it's, it's agents are pushing for a move and maybe they haven't been linked with one yet, so you know they leak something. Um, and obviously sometimes it's just journalists need to find something to write about. Um, but I think he, he's probably the type of player you want to bring in, someone who's um, you know, one of the big sides, he's not going to get a chance to play. Um, and you know Chelsea probably very keen to see him get regular football and sort of the bottom half of the table. He's still only 19, Shalabar, and he has had a couple of scenes out and won in the Championship already. Um, hasn't been particularly outstanding. I do remember he played at Turfmore from Middlesbrough, uh, towards the end of the season, I think that was a nil-nil, and he was outstanding in two positions. Actually, they started him in midfield, and then he ended up playing at the back. So his versatility would certainly be quite useful for what's likely to be quite a small squad. So 
worth keeping an eye on that one to see if anything else comes up. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that, that Borough game in question and I think it was all round a, a pretty epic defensive performance from a team that were missing a few key players. So, you know, that shows that there's a bit of something about him. And, uh, he's you know, he's young, so he's going to be quite pacey and he might be, you know, a good match to go alongside Shackle. He's very strong as well, Shalabar, so I think that's... Physically, he already seems to be pretty much there. It's, it's just learning the game a little bit. One player, actually, from that same Middlesbrough game who, who stood out for me and someone I've, I've always liked is Albert Adoma. Um, I think he's been linked with a move to another championship club, but with us maybe being in the market for a winger um, this summer with Stanislas and Tracy both going on free transfers at the end of their contract, maybe Adoma could be someone that we would maybe look at, do you think, James? It, I think he'd be an interesting one. Um, so you can't say whether... Uh, Sean Dyche will we'll be taking a look at him, but he's someone who can play a few positions as well, I think, obviously on the wing, and uh, like he did at the turf, sort of a right-back-ish sort of position. Uh, so, you know, again, versatility in a small squad is always uh, always a big plus. Uh, Ian, we didn't have you on the podcast last time, so first chance really for, for you to give us your opinion on the transfer dealing so far. Obviously, six new lads have come in, Um but would you say that the first eleven's been particularly strengthened with the the new arrivals? I, w- I wouldn't think so. They, I think all each of the signings for me has looked um, like a squad signing, and and I think that makes sense. You know, I think you need to strengthen the kind of core of the squad um, for um, a season in the Premier League, without doubt. It's it looked weak last season. Um, you know, as a, as an overall squad. And uh, coming into this season, as we've already said, we've lost a few players, so we really needed to to backfill those players. I think uh, Jukovic probably, you know, is good, going to be a good standing for Vox. So, uh, um, in terms of the the kind of target man type approach, I think the one that's that's interested me most of all, I think, really, is Matt Taylor. Um, didn't see that coming initially, and um, I just, you know, from all right, some of it might be slightly historic views on. Um, uh, you know, players' performances from seasons ago, but he, to me, looks like a good player, decent Premier League experience right through his career, and a kind of lad that could make a difference. And you know, really seems like a dash sort of player. Looks like he'll really put a shift in, but but has that little bit of quality as well around him. So, so yeah, pretty mixed on the signing so far. I'm the two that might come in as a, you know that are a little more exciting, but but I understand why they brought the lads in that they have. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Taylor and Reid in particular, it's it's all about the experience, isn't it? You need players who've been in the Premier League that they know the league inside out. It's it's obviously it's not something as fans we can really put our finger on, but managers always like to have people around who've been there and done it. And I suppose Reid and Taylor will be useful to have uh, in the dressing room as much as on the pitch, in that they'll be able to give the insight into what to expect from just playing in a different league. I suppose as much as anything. I think it'll be interesting because much as I thought Marnie and Jones were a great combination last season, I still worry a little bit about Jones, I have to say. I think his first touch sometimes is a bit like a, a dog chasing a balloon, I think, with his first touch. Um, you know, In Championship, you can probably get away with it, but in the Premier League, he'll get found out unless that side of his game improves. Um, so I think it'd be really good to have somebody who can slot in there, probably alongside Marnie, to really uh, give him some competition for his players. That's interesting you pick out Jones because I thought he was quite underrated by a lot of people last season. I thought he was one of the most important players on the side, especially the way that he sort of made that midfield knit together. But 
Yes, but midfield probably is an area we still need to strengthen in that last season our cover was David Edgar and Brian Stock and even if it's Reed and Taylor this season we, we haven't really got a third option in there if we want to go five in midfield. Um, James, just to come back to you, not much progress seems to be made on either Dorney Dorney or Deason in the in the last fortnight. Uh, Troy Deeney and Craig Dawson were the names I was trying to get out. Um looks like we're gonna be priced out of Troy Deeney, but Dawson do you think that's still one that we might get over the line? It seems to have gone a bit quiet. Yeah it has it has gone quiet. It's one that um was linked for I think a lot longer before uh, some of the more local press seem to get hold of it. Um and from what I've heard, I'm, I'm not sure we actually want him, but uh, it, I think that's one that should be feasible. Um, you know, assuming West Brom don't want too much money. Um, but as well, I think from what you hear about, you know, what uh, the fans there think of him, it sounds like it's one that they might actually be quite happy to let go of for the for the right price. Um, on Deeney, I really think what's worked against us is the McCormack signing at Fulham, which is just blown all sort of realistic pricing out of the water for championship strikers and uh, I think I read the other day that Watford are holding out for 12 million now which I don't think I'd want to see us spend 12 million on on a championship player you you wouldn't think we even could let alone uh, whether we should or not you would think and I know there's a lot of money slashing into the club this summer but you would think 12 million on one player when our transfer record's 3 million you, you'd think that would be um, a bit far. I think the, the last reported bid was, what, six, six and a half million? It's been reported that we've gone back in for him, but if they're talking 10, 12 million, I would imagine we've already moved on from that one. Yeah, I think anything anything double figures and up is is probably where we, we'd stop stop interest. Um, but obviously you don't know what makeup they're looking for sort of up front to, to um, sort of incentives. Because it could be that you know something that's maybe more like eleven, twelve could work for us if it was enough weighted towards incentives, particularly towards incentives that um, are going to be hard to match. Uh, I think you'd you'd want those to to be incentives that he's really have to step his game up to meet, and you'll really prove that he is sort of a, an eleven, twelve million pound player rather than a sort of seven, eight million pound player. I think we, we've seen that in the, the McCormack deal. I think that was reported at 11, wasn't it? Um, obviously, Leeds wanted to hail the fact they'd got a big amount of money and Fulham wanted to say, we've just spent all this on a player, we mean business. But apparently of that 11 million, a large proportion of that is also add-on. So you'd suspect things like score this number of goals if we get promoted, these kind of things. Um, so just on the Deeney deal, you wonder even if it was a total 10 to 12 million, if it was, say, oh, I'm just proportioning it up in my head now, but if you said 4 million guaranteed, 4 million on goals and appearances, another 4 million if we stay up, you think like if we actually stayed up, that 4 million would suddenly be almost nothing to us, but the amount of money that we get because of staying up would be vast. So it'd be interesting to see if they are still considering some sort of package um, on Deeney. But yeah, I agree. I think if they're starting to talk about 10, 12 million, teams like QPR and Leicester are also apparently interested. I read on Twitter that Everton as well are having a look. You think like there's just going to be too many teams interested and it's going to be difficult for us to get that one done, even if Sean Dash does know him from Watford. Um, before the podcast started, Andy, to come to you, you were saying how much you hate talk about speculation. So been a 
avoiding coming to you on transfers, but hopefully you're just going to tell us what it is about the speculation of the summer transfer window that really winds you up. I didn't say hate, and I, I didn't say it winds <laughs> me up. I just I'm editorialising. <laughs> I just have like sort of no real opinion on it, like because <laughs> basically, basically, I I never I've never heard of the some of the players, so I, I can never comment on someone I don't know anything about. Um, I've read up a little bit on that Daney guy because I heard I heard he mentioned a couple of months back, um, but you know we can't do anything about it until they sign. Then then start worrying about him really. Um, let let Sean do that sort of business. He's good at that, isn't he? I'm sure he'll do well, but I can't see him signing someone for twelve million quid. Um, you know that's like quadrupling the the record. I mean it's it's more than quadruple that we've paid for anyone in that squad. No one in that squad's three million, were they? So, you know, you're going to have someone sat there on 12 million quid when the next highest player was like one and a half or two or something. So. It's not just I that. It's, you've got to, One of the things people often say is you talk about the wages as well and you think like a, a proportion of the squad will have probably got pay rises in their contracts for promotion. But, if you're going to sign a player like Deeney on 10, 12 million quid, he's going to be on a high wage to reflect that fee as well. And you imagine Deeney, with all these clubs apparently interested, he's going to be able to name his price almost. And if it's going to be clubs like QPR, who apparently pay Rio Ferdinand £80,000 a week or something ludicrous, you just wonder if if there's any chance Deeney could fit into a wage structure at Burnley where I think last time we were in the Premier League we were talking about 15 grand a week max you wouldn't imagine it would be that much more than that this time although I think the TV the TV money's a bit higher so yeah you just wonder if we'd be priced out of the Deeney deal on fees and wages um, one thing that could boost the transfer kitty the transfer war chest if it was a little bit bigger uh, this summer could be a potential move for Jay Rodriguez who's being linked with Spurs even though he's um, still injured with the the knee injury that he picked up towards the end of the season that meant he missed the World Cup. Um, It's difficult to put um, a fee on on what this J deal could be because it's apparently going to be a double deal with Morgan Schneider in the France international defensive midfielder, but you would expect for two players of that quality, Spurs would probably pay upwards of 30 million, maybe 35, 40 million. I asked on Twitter earlier and someone suggested Jay Rodriguez could be worth as much as 25 million, which uh, sounds like a hell of a lot of money, but I suppose that's just the way the market is at the moment. Uh, apparently, our sell on clause is 15 or 20% of the profit, so this could be worth two, three, four million pounds to Burnley if, if the deal goes through high enough. Um, so it's it's Spurs are apparently interested in him mainly, James, but Liverpool showing an interest as well after the the light Remy deal fell through. Wh- which team do you think he'd fit in best at? These are two big clubs. We're talking about Jay Rodriguez moving to. Um, I'd say probably Liverpool, um, because I I think uh, Tottenham's got a little bit of a, a track record of being a bit of a graveyard for strikers. Obviously, a lot of that was to do with Harry Redknapp and. Uh, his desire to flick between um, strikers at the drop of a hat, even if one's uh, scoring goals. Um, but, you know, I think Liverpool would probably be the better fit for him. Um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, maybe how he ties up with uh, someone like Sturridge. And it's probably a much better striker signing for Liverpool than the one that they've already made from Southampton in, uh, in Lambert, which is a bit of a, an odd move. Um, 
but at the same time it's a little bit worrying actually to see that Southampton are considering selling him since at this rate they're going to be in a Blackpool sort of situation if uh, they don't start bringing some people in. It is a funny one down at Southampton, isn't it? I mean, at the start of the summer, when they did so well, you expected that they'd lose a couple. I think Lilana and Shaw were the two that everyone expected to move, but Lovren's going to Liverpool as well for £20 million. They're losing Chambers. He's not even a regular in the side yet. Schneiderlin and Rodriguez could be going as well. It's, it's half their strongest team going, and they've got a new manager as well. It's, it's Even with all the money that they've got to spend, it's no guarantee of success, and you wonder if Southampton might just be in for a difficult season. Um, Ian, what's what's your take on the Jay Rodriguez situation? I'm a bit surprised that these teams are interested in him, even though he's apparently not going to be fit to play until about October. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I mean, I might have understood. Um, I, I can understand the Tottenham connection. You know, I think Pochettino did well for him at um, at Southampton. He clearly brought him on, coached him well. Uh, you know, from becoming a a player with potential to a player kind of on the verge of the England squad. So I could see why. Gerard might want to stay around him and and the coaching team that he's worked with. I I, I agree with James. I think Liverpool would be a, a really nice move for him. Um, my only worry is that they then go out and spend you know another forty fifty million on a marquee forward signing uh, to replace Suarez, and and suddenly you know he's pushed down the ranks again, back in and sitting on the bench most weeks. So that'd be my only concern about him going to Liverpool. But I think from a the way he plays, a, a squad perspective, I think he would. Uh, fitting better there probably than he would at Tottenham. I think it's it's an interesting one. Spurs, you're not really sure what they're going to look like this season because Pochettino's new there, uh, but he, he did come on leaps and bounds un, under Pochettino at, at Southampton, so it's interesting both ways. I, I think at Liverpool, I think Rodgers has indicated that he wants to move to a sort of 4-3-3 formation, which would suit Jay because I think his best position is off the left. Um in, in that sort of front three, and you've got to think like a front three of Rodriguez, Sturridge and Sterling, that would be quite dangerous, but we are talking about a team that wants to be challenging for the title, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Jay in the next few weeks. Um, Andy, you noted in our little chat section that Jay Rodriguez is a player you've heard of, so I suppose I can ask you about this one. Um, not a fan of Liverpool, are you? So I suppose you'd rather he went to Spurs. Um. Yeah, that'd be a great move for him. Yeah, I dislike Liverpool greatly. He were linked with Everton at one time as well, weren't he? But I don't think he has been this year. Um, but I mean, it's not. I don't think it's a surprise him being linked with moves, even though he's injured, because he's going to get fit again, and they know what he's capable of. And um, you know, transferring him while he's while he's still recovering, don't you know? It's not like he's out for a, a year. He's coming back in a few months' time. Um, I hope. I hope he does go to Spurs. I think that'd be a great move for him. Although I don't like Spurs, <laughs> I, I like. I want. It, I want him to do well. I think he'll play for Burnley again some point in the future on his way back down for us when we're on a ten season in the Premier League. <laughs> That'll be interesting. I, I hope you're out on that one, and we'll put that down as as one of the famous Andy Devenny's predictions after the Danny Ings 40 goals one. Uh, just a point on Ings actually, we're talking about Ross McCormack £11 million, Troy Deeney £12 million I suppose um, Ings' situation looks like he's going to play down the last year of his contract but if, if we were to sell him this season, you'd have to be talking that sort of bracket, wouldn't you James? You'd be saying like £10 million before we even consider anything, do you think that's fair? Well, yeah I mean if Deeney's going to be commanding sort of £12 million, yeah, I think Ings has to command the same fee. But to be honest, I don't think we're going to 
we're going to sell him or I don't think we're even going to entertain uh, bids to, to take him away from us. It seems like it, it's pretty much been decided, hasn't it, that he's just going to see out the rest of his contract, which is fair enough for me, as long as he's going to be 100% dedicated and there's no suggestion that he won't be. So I think everyone just needs to come to terms with that. I've read some really strange comments. Someone on, on Clarets Mad said he was due to things because he won't sign a new contract. And, um, yeah, that just goes to show what, what sort of supporters we have. But, yeah, I suppose all clubs have have that in their ranks. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone on Clarets Mad. I want to track them down. the website. <laughs> I think it comes back to sort of a... A classic situation of if it, this was someone else in another job, would you begrudge them making a choice to, you know, see out what their contract is? Probably not. It, it seems to be a football thing that for some reason people think, you know, if you played for a side for a while, you owe them to sign a new contract just to get them a better deal later on. I um, don't think it really works like that. And to me, from a, a business and a footballing uh, point of view, I think no matter what happens, um, we've profited immensely out of Danny Ings. Uh, we paid what up to one and a half million for him. Um, his goals have got us into the Premier League. His goals could potentially keep us up if he then goes next season and it goes to a tribunal to give us a fee. You know we're going to get more than one point five million, and obviously we've already got all the money in the bank that we've earned through promotion. So um, I'd, I think it's a, a win-win. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I think um, he scored the winner at Ewood as well, which you obviously can't put a price on. So I wouldn't say he owes us anything. I've I've always said though that I think it it would suit both parties if he did sign just a one year extension, and we could have a clause put in there saying if certain clubs offered X amount of money, then we wouldn't stand in your way. And I, I think that would suit everyone. Given Danny Ings, Danny Ings is still on his first contract at Burnley as well. So in terms of pay. He's probably not on a fortune at the moment, so he could get a nice big pay rise for us as well. Yeah, I've seen that about his pay. Uh, and to be honest, I think that's something that's quite strange that people keep going, well, he should sign a new contract because he wants to get paid more. I think it's actually probably quite refreshing to see a footballer who's not just thinking about what is uh, his wages. Um, he's clearly, you know, OK with the amount he's earning, which is still going to be the kind of money that we all wish we were earning. So... Um, he can't be doing too badly. Yeah, it's not like he's in the poor eyes, is he? Let's not feel too sorry for Danny Ings. I'm sure he's making a few quid. Um, Andy, obviously, Danny Ings, uh, you've got a special relationship with, with Danny Ings. <laughs> that don't sound right, does it? <laughs> I mean, everyone, people people saying about him, oh, he hasn't signed the contract, and it, you know, who's to say that he's been offered one? Ah, come on, you he, know, he, he might be, must he have might... offered him a contract. Well, how do we know that, though? Well, you know, well we it's don't. Position, though, yeah. it? It's not. It's speculation. There's nothing to say that we've offered him one, because I'd heard a rumour about him, something to do with his um, knee still wasn't taken or something, and we were holding back, giving it, offering him a contract till they were 100% sure he was going to be fit. You know, so you don't know, do you? We don't, we're, we're not in them positions. And Like, I totally agree with what James said. Um you know, even if it does go to tribunal, we're gonna get, we're gonna make money on him, and and the money he's brought into this club is just, you know, superb. And you, like you said, you can't knock him for uh, if it is him waiting to see what what offers he gets. Then, so what? He might sign yet. He hasn't. You know, he's got another year to go. He might sign in January. You know, he might sign next summer. You know, uh, just, he's still here. 
And just then, one last point from you on Ames. Did you have a, a close encounter with him recently? That that sounds wrong as well. I didn't. I didn't know he went in. He went in the pub though. Well, you weren't there. The oh, I, I weren't that's, there. That's extremely. No, I weren't there. <laughs> that's a shame. <laughs> um, Ian, if we can Sorry. come to you on on Danny England, what, what's your take of the whole situation? Yeah, I, I, you know, ideally, I, I think it's a shame that uh, we haven't engineered a position whereby you know we could get him on a longer contract just to to engineer a higher fee. But you know, that's as we say, that's a, just an idealistic kind of uh, situation and uh, never going to work out. I think, as we say, you know, we we've had uh, more than our money's worth from Ings, and um, you know, even if he was to in a kind of Charlie Aston horrible situation leaving the first game of the season then you know I still think we've we've done very well out of him and you know I, I don't think he'd go off with my best wishes no matter what happens so um, you know I think we'll just have to let it play out and see how it goes he's certainly going to be trying his best because if he doesn't then he's not going to get the big move that he is looking for albeit at the end of next season that's true. He, st- he still has to make the impression, doesn't he, and yeah. succeed at Premier League level to convince teams. So I think anyone suggesting he's just going to switch off for the season is maybe um, a little bit out of line. Um, obviously, the, the Danny Ings situation, as I keep referring to it, it looks like it's one that's going to be up in the air a little bit for, for the coming weeks. So we will revisit this on pre on, uh, podcasts to come, even. Um, but we are going to move on to talk about ticket prices now, which is as divisive a topic as ever. We'll try and keep the debate um, um, clean, shall we say. Um, but it, it might get a little bit... Um, yeah, it might get interesting in the next few minutes. The ticket prices for the coming season have been announced and the cheapest adult ticket is going to be £35 at Turf Moor this season. And there's two categories of prices for the coming season. Category A for eight games, including Chelsea and Manchester United, which are both on telly at the start of the season. Um, top price tickets, £42 for Category A games. Uh, that's just to the Bob Ward stand and the centre of the James Hargreaves upper. Most of those seats have already gone to season ticket holders, so there won't be many of those available, but it will be £40 for everywhere else in the ground. Um, I suppose with, with the season ticket prices after the early bird period as high as they were, and with all the talk about the retainer that we've been told is included in the ticket price, um, I suppose they didn't really have anywhere else to go. Did they? I think if you look at the season ticket prices now, it's about £36 a game for the long side. So 35 and 40 Is that about what you would have expected, Ian? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, as soon as I saw the prices come out, um, I tweeted out that, you know, exactly as I expected. Couldn't see, as you say, you know, I'd done a little bit of maths before they, they came out and had a look at uh, what the differential could be between season tickets and, and walk-on prices, and you have to have a decent differential. Um, so, you know, I absolutely hear everything that everybody says, and I'm sure will say in the next few minutes about, you know, the, the ordinary working man being priced out of football, it's a you know, an economically deprived area, etc., etc. I completely understand that, but I could never see it being anything else, to be honest, Jeremy. Well, I think, yeah, I think once the season ticket prices came out as high as they were, 
the walk-ons were always going to be at this level, but it's it still saddens me a little bit to be talking about £40 to go and watch Burnley. And it's not that long ago since we crossed the £30 mark, which I thought was a dangerous level to go past, but £40 tickets at Turf Moor. The club thinks they're going to sell out on a regular basis. Um, God say Chief Executive Lee Hughes is insistent there will be sellouts at Turf Moor, even though I think we only sold out once last time we were in the Premier League, with ticket prices a little bit lower. Um, Andy... You're a scene ticket holder at Turf Moor, aren't you? What do you make of these walk-on prices? Um, I think they're exactly where they were going to be. Like you said, with the price of... Um, the, the After the early bird season ticket prices, they had to put them at the price they put them at because you can't have a season ticket that costs you more than a walk-on price. Um, but, I mean, you know, they've sold that many season tickets at early bird prices that the majority of people... I've got an extremely that's, good deal. It's like point. 20, 20, 20 quid a game or something. So it's all right saying price, you know, price the normal man out. I mean, I were priced out until I were sort of 34 years old. I didn't get a season ticket because I couldn't afford one. Um, but at the early bird prices, they are very affordable. And in next year, it's going to be the same, like less than 400 quid for Premiership football. So walk-on prices are always going to be dearer, always have been. Um and and as a percentage of you know what you pay for uh, an early bird season ticket, I think they're exactly where they should be. Because now I, I've got a bargain as a season ticket. If you had the walk on prices twenty quid, what was the point in getting a season ticket? So you know, I'm, I'm I w- I were mad at the retainer, but you know that it's one of those things. They've said that the price next year is going to be the same. They can't really do any more than that, to be fair. So it's 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, I think. Obviously, the club has this this balance to achieve, don't they? And making the tickets affordable enough so that um, that we can get close to sellouts. That's that's essentially the proof of whether the tickets are priced right. We'll only see when we start playing football matches and see how full the ground is. Um, I think Chelsea. But they've only sold. They've only got the tickets that they've left. They had to leave, didn't they, for Premiership? Um, a certain amount for walk-ons, didn't they? The club said that they've got about 800 season tickets left to sell, but again, they're confident they're going to go uh, before the start of the season. They're confident people are going to be leaving it till the last minute now. So, again, yeah, if, if the season tickets sell out, then that will justify the price rise that we saw after the early bird period. You're absolutely right, by the way. We do want to point out, we do get accused of negativity a little bit here at None and Ever, believe it or not. Um, the early bird season tickets, terrific deal for those who could commit um, before the end of March and they did introduce I think £5 tickets for under 10s in the walk-on prices so there are snippets of good news in there but I think you have to go back to the, the price rise on the season tickets after the early bird period obviously they were going to go up with Premier League football guaranteed obviously um, the club was going to try and price them at a level where they were going to sell out but I think it's the the inclusion of, of the retainer, we keep calling it retainer even though it's officially an, a voucher now because that's what it was called um, at first by the club, so I'm going to keep calling it a retainer. And I think if you start taking that 100 quid off all the season ticket prices as they are now, then you could probably have walk-ons at a more reasonable level. I think you could knock a, a few quid off them and they might get to something that doesn't sound as eye-catching as 40 quid to watch Burnley. Just one point as well, Ian. Um, there was a chart came out from Sporting Intelligence. Uh, was a little bit of doubt cast on the, the validity of some of the figures, but that chart showed that there was only Chelsea charging more for their um, 
least expensive tickets, if that makes sense. Our least expensive ticket is £35 for an adult. Only Chelsea's is higher. Do you not think that that's an indication that they're a bit much? I mean, well, the first thing I'd say, I think, is I find that very difficult to believe. Um, you know, if you look at Arsenal, we're paying a thousand quid minimum for a season ticket. I, I can't, I don't see where they're putting people in the ground for, for less than we are. Um, so, but anyway, you know, even leaving the facts where they are, um, yeah, I mean, it, it does stick in the throat a little bit. And uh, you know, I've seen comments on, on, uh, Twitter and probably from, from some of the guys on this call, even, you know, talking about, the fact that you know it's not doesn't seem to be funding a, a Premiership team. It seems to be you know we're not quite sure. I guess where where some of this money is going. We're at best you know potentially mid-table Premiership, but um, I don't know. It's going to be a struggle next season, no doubt. So I I don't know. I I mean I I struggle to believe those figures. Um, if they are true, then it's surprising and, and in some ways shocking to me. But you know, you just have to take the number as it is. And, you know, for me, 40 quid to watch Premiership football doesn't instinctively stick in the throat, I have to say. Um, so, you know, that I, I think in a way, comparison against other teams is neither here nor, nor indeed there. And, you know, you have to look at the base figure, I think. That's an interesting way of looking at it. What I, I would say to that is that uh, the club has justified it saying that the prices are about average for the Premier League and, and playing devil's advocate then, I would say, at what point are we going to start signing some average Premier League players? Because the players that we've brought in so far probably don't fit into that category. If we're charging average prices, does that mean we're going to be an average Premier League team and finish in an average position of 11th, 12th in the table? <laughs> it seems like we're charging for no, one I... thing, but delivering another. That That's my take on the situation. But also, you could but, say... But are we, though, Jamie? You could say, I mean, are we? we'll because... only see, but also one point, uh, just to, to contradict what I've said a little bit, a lot of these Premier League teams are established, they've got the television money coming in year after year, and a lot of them subsidise their Premier League tickets. So, you, again, you can't really compare us to teams like, for instance, Sunderland, who've got a very big ground to fill, and they have price points that are lower than Burnley's, but that's partly just because they've got f- far more seats to try and sell. But but also is is part of the product. I might be being slightly contentious here. Is part of the product that's being sold the opposition? You know, for the walk-on fans, yep. is part of what they they want to see. They, they want to see Rooney. They want to see you know Liverpool's top players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so part of it is is not just the Burnley side, and you know that's who I'm going to watch, obviously. Um, but you know, a lot of people, if their walk-ons are actually going because of the quality opposition that are coming. I, th- I think the, the concern for me is that, uh, you touched on it earlier, there's 1,700 seats, that's 1,750 held back for walk-ons. Um, and I just, I'm just not sure we're going to get near selling those for for some of the games that we've got coming up. Like No disrespect to, to some of the teams, but for instance, Palace, Hull, QPR, Leicester, charging 35 quid bottom price for people to go and watch those games. I think it's going to be a hard sell. I think the marketing department is probably going to have the the work cut out to try and shift tickets for them. Um, But yeah, you think the big games will probably still sell. I think Chelsea will be an interesting one 
because it's Monday night, it's it's tricky to get to and from for some people. It's on television as well. I'm sure a lot of people will want to be there for the first game back in the Premier League, but I think that'll be a, a big test. 40 quid for a game that's on telly. I think if they sell out at those prices, that'll be quite interesting. Adam, can we bring you in on these ticket prices? What's, what's your take? Yeah, I, I kind of echo everything that's been said that they've all been valid arguments um but i think there's a there's a kind of gap between um the people who can commit to early bird season tickets and the people who want walk-on like who, who can't like there, there's a gap that needs to be filled there so uh, i think you said on your um in your article about flexi tickets um how they can help like kind of bridge that gap because there are fans who can't commit and I think that a lot of lot of um, the response to people who criticise the prices has has kind of ignored that. It's been like, well, you didn't get a season ticket, therefore you don't deserve the best deal. But you're still fans, um, and and I think flexi tickets may may be an interesting way of, of solving that kind of um, kind of gap there. Yeah, I think the, the flexi tickets last season were an excellent deal. Um, whether the club does it this time will probably just depend whether they sell the season tickets because then there'll be no real need to with not having that many seats to shift. I do think that, I agree, I think there does need to be a bridge, especially when they want 650 quid or so now for a season ticket. I think you're going to be hard pushed to sell many more of those, I would say, and at 40 quid a goal for these Category A games. I think, again, it's going to be tricky to get rid of those. And from my point of view, I'm pretty much priced out at those sorts of ticket prices, so I'm hoping they do introduce a flexi ticket and then I can commit to a few games but still sort of pick and choose, and I think that's a decent balance to be had. Uh, but again, with season ticket prices as they are, the club would have to work out a way to make sure season tickets are still the, the best value option, but they'd need to price the flexi tickets at a cost that would still entice people rather than just pay their 40 quid, their 35 quid, game by game. Um, it's not just Burnley, of course, that, that have these ticket prices that are high. We do need to point that out. It's not like we're just having a go at Burnley. It's a problem across football. Um, I think the Accrington Stanley friendly on Saturday, they wanted 15 quid for adults to watch a friendly. Uh, what's essentially a glorified training session. I think that's pretty outrageous. I'm glad that tickets for the, the two home games, I think, is it Celta Vigo and Hellas Verona? I think they're 10 quid for adults, which is much more reasonable. Um Someone else on Twitter, when I was talking about ticket prices earlier in the week, said uh, a team in in League Two, I think it might have been Walsall, they were charging mid twenties for walk-ons. Um, and if you start talking about League Two football at twenty odd quid, Premier League football for forty quid, then doesn't sound that bad. So I think it's a problem across the game, and solutions need to be found to deal with that. But yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting just to see the crowds and whether there's any impact on atmosphere as well. I suppose that, that's difficult to quantify, but it's. I'm glad that we've managed to keep debate to a, a, a quite a sensible and, um, I, don't, I don't know how to put it, but we haven't shouted at each other, so I'm glad that's been the case, because these debates do tend to get quite heated. Um, Adam, let's bring you back in. Just on, just on the debate point, I think it's quite important to realise that discussion like this, so like via voice in, in a podcast, is much easier to have and like via text on a on a social media site, everything seems to get ex- like brought to the extreme on those points. And I, I think we've all found that we kind of all agree with each other, um, rather than kind of like vehemently disagree, um, as it, as it might have been, it might have seemed on on Twitter and and things like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I hope that the discussion we've just had um, 
sort of shows the perspectives a bit more because the the reality is it is new it's nuanced there's gray areas it's when you talk about these things on twitter you tend to take a position and stick to it quite rigidly no matter what anyone says in fact <laughs> if anyone counteracts you you move more to extreme to wh- whichever view you've taken so yeah hopefully we've explored the issue in a little bit more detail obviously ticket prices always going to be divisive even if it was 20 quid a pop you'd have people saying it's too expensive so it is tricky um just one last point for me that i want to raise i was at a a consultation meeting thing at Turf Mall last week and we went from talking about um, ticket prices and seeing ticket prices to talking about the community work Burnley's doing and it seems like there's a lot of good work going on in that department but the the head of community was talking about how deprived Burnley is and he was reeling off all these statistics about levels of unemployment and how pay rates are so much lower than many parts of the country and to then go from that to talking about 40 quid to go and watch Burnley it just seemed a bit jarring for me and finally before we leave ticket prices behind for, for tonight's podcast I just want to point out as well that at minimum wage if you're earning minimum wage and you want to go and watch Burnley, you're talking six, seven hours work to get a ticket, and that seems a lot to me. Um, but yeah, we'll leave that one there for now. Um, our question of the week this week, new feature for the podcast this season. Each week we're going to throw out a question on social media and read out the best answers. Adam, what was this week's question and what answers have you got for us? Okay, the uh, this week's question was what player should Burnley's realistic top t- transfer target be um, and we've, we've had quite a range of response um, mo- most people have said Dawson that, that's, um, that's been their most common um, response Gaz has said that um, Paul Holt said that Johnny D. Neal has said that um, Richard Steele said that um, Alex Bentley said that um, so, so quite a lot of people saying that um, but a few interesting things um, Callum Seth says um, he'd take Redmond from Norwich, and he's a class, play, uh, class player. Uh, Redmond's an interesting shout, sorry to interrupt, he's got real pace, and I think we, we really need that, so I think Redmond's a good shout. Yeah, Johnny D. Nild, on his, like continuing his, his um, comment after he, he suggested Dawson, he said, uh, we definitely need a, a decent centre-back, and he fits the bill. Um, uh, <laughs> Is that everything? <laughs> uh, no, there, there's more. <laughs> I was, I was um, teasing you there. Um, Richard Steele would like to see Young Wilson on loan for Man United, um, and he'd like to see money for James MacArthur from Wigan. I think we mentioned him before on the podcast. And that's about everything. Excellent. Um, just a couple of things, actually, before we do round off the podcast. By the way, um, this is the first time we've not done the show live, so um, hopefully this pre-record format will work quite well. If you've got any feedback at all, any ideas for features we can do on the podcast, please do get in touch. We always welcome constructive criticism, let's say. Um, various ways you can get in touch with us through Facebook slash NoneInEverNet. Uh, our Twitter username is at NoneInEverNet. Or you can email us at podcast at NoneInEver.net. Um, one thing about the, the Blackpool friendly, actually, on Saturday. Uh, Blackpool are organising a protest before that game, I think. They've only sold about 200 tickets for the game and they're trying to organise a boycott. I'm sure a lot of Burnley fans will be planning a trip over to Blackpool for the weekend. I know my, my dad and his wife are going across and 
having a dirty weekend in Blackpool, and I'm sure that's on the agenda for a lot of people this summer. Um, what Blackpool fans are asking is that people try and spend as little as possible. So they're not saying stay away from the game altogether because obviously people want to support their clubs, but they are saying just try not to put any more money in the Oyston family's pocket as possible. So if you are going to the game, what they're asking is don't buy a programme, don't buy food and drink inside the ground because they want to send a message that they're just not going to take it anymore. So I think this is... Um, a, a good thing that we should try and support as best we can so if you are going to Blackpool just bear in mind the process that is going on there um, I'm sure we wouldn't want the stuff that's going on at Blackpool to be happening for us they've only got nine players I think at the moment so whether they can even put a team out for Saturday um, might be questionable just before we go then Ian finally what would you like to see happen before the start of the season in terms of, of transfers what sort of areas do you think we need to strengthen Oh, blimey. Um, I, I, I hate to say this, but I think it's more a case of where don't we need to strengthen. I think um, definitely another centre-half, another centre-midfielder. Looks like we're a bit light on the wings. Um, and, uh, you know, the big marquee centre-forward signing, which I'm sure is just around the corner. There's already five strikers on the books, though, aren't there? I mean, I know Volks is out until probably Christmas. I, there's been reports in the papers saying that... Um, Dini and Jokovic were both targets. It wasn't a case of Jokovic being the backup plan. So do you think it's going to be a case of maybe move on from Dini and try and spend big money on somebody else? I, I think we might just stick with what we've got. No, I agree. I, I was being slightly sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a strange one. I mean, if we are still in for Dini, why do we walk away and not, not go for somebody else up front? Uh, you know, we'd kind of um, not make do with what we've got. That's the wrong phrase because we've got some good lads up there. Um, so, you know, I, I think realistically, I mean, what I'd really like to see is um, a centre-half and a centre-midfielder come in. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody uh, somebody like uh, Jack Cork or people like that, I think, would be would be really interesting for us. I'd be so excited if Jack Cork came back. I think he's probably out of range, but yeah, yeah hopefully... Probably. Hopefully that will be a possibility. It seems to be a fire sale at Southampton, so you never know. Yeah. Um, James, hopefully you're still knocking around. What do you think are the, the main areas that we need to try and strengthen in the next few, three weeks? Oh, I think our key looks to be centre-back, centre-midfield. Um, and obviously anywhere else you know, wouldn't hurt, but um, I think those are the two that really need to sort of uh, see a bit more reinforcement. And what about you, Andy, if we can ask you to speculate a little bit on the on the transfers? I think we need some new uh, ball boys, personally. <laughs> Cracking. They were rubbish last year. So what we should do, we should raise that at the next uh, supporters consultation committee. We'll get that stuck on the agenda for you. We'll see what we can do. Um, that's about all we've got time for tonight. Thanks to my guests this evening, Andy Devaney, James Bird and Ian Creamer. I think our next podcast will be in a couple of weeks, which will be a week before the start of the season. Like I say, if you've got any feedback, please do get in touch. Podcast at net or on Twitter at net. Um, good show tonight. Like I said, the pre-record I think has worked quite well. Um, covered a lot. Still lots and lots to always talk about, even though there's no football on. It's crazy, isn't it? But that's pretty much all we've got time for tonight. So we will be back in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks to everyone who's listened. Good night. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.